Hey, that was awesome, right? So much happened over the summer to be thankful for. And we are celebrating eight years of God being faithful, faithful to us today. So let me say it. Happy birthday. Yeah. How many of you got cake already? You snuck it before the service. My hand is up. My hand is up. If you're a visitor with us, we have cake every week. So come back next week. Okay, maybe that's a little fib. We don't have cake every week, but we have cake every birthday service that we have. So it, uh, it's fun. We love to remember the Lord's faithfulness. Um, and if you've been here for all eight years, wow, thank you so much for that. You get to see God's work over time. If you stay in a church, commit yourself, put your roots down, and then watch what God does. We're also happy today because we are starting a brand new sermon series, and I've been teasing you with it for several weeks now. Some of you guessed it, some of you didn't, but we are beginning a new series today about a man in the Bible who was sentenced to death at birth, uh, was saved by a princess, and raised royalty. He murdered a man and fled for his life. He talked to a bush. He also reduced Egypt to smoldering ashes. He parted the Red Sea, met with God on Sinai, wrote the Ten Commandments and the first five books of the Bible, was so close to God that his skin literally glowed and he had to cover his face because he was scaring the children. And as if his life was not enough, Jesus called him back in the New Testament on the mountain of transfiguration, so he made a New Testament appearance as well. We are going to spend a year with Moses. We are going to learn so much about God, about us, about faith, about life, and I trust that you will find this series to be greatly helpful. The first two weeks um, of the series, which is called A Story of Doubt, and deliverance, the first two weeks we're going to focus on how Moses discovered God's plan for his life. What a plan God had for this guy. And how did he discover it? And and how do you find God's plan for your life? This is a huge question. Uh, It's a huge question that you need an answer to. What is God's plan for your life? Is there a divine meaning to your life? Is there a hand that guides the course of humanity? Is there some greater plan that you can be a part of? The answer is yes. Many people never find this plan, this purpose. You know, Peanuts, right? The comic strip, Peanuts. And Charles Schultz was the the, uh, cartoonist who drew that. And he was a deep thinker. And here's what he said about the question of the meaning of life. He said, I don't know the meaning of life. I don't know why we're here. I think life is full of anxieties and fears and tears. It has a lot of grief in it, and it can be very grim. And I don't want to be the one who tries to tell somebody else what life is all about. To me, it's a complete mystery. He's honest. He doesn't know. And and that's the way most people live, that to me, it's a complete mystery. They've never found God's plan for their life. Uh, Moses did, and he's going to help us to see that There is a plan. (laughs) That's good news. There is a plan. God has a plan. And your life will serve God's purposes if you bring it in line with his plan. Um, And if you want to know God's plan for your life, it all starts by knowing God's promises. God's promises are at the core of his plan for your life. He has made binding promises that frame the whole picture of earth. God has made binding promises 
uh, that cut the channels of time. Uh, God has made binding promises that the sun and the moon and the stars all hang on lest they would fall into darkness. Knowing God's promises is where you discover the purpose for your life. Moses is going to help us how promises God made led up to his life and how he fell in line with the grand narrative of God's faithful story. When we see how he did that, we'll learn how we can also merge onto God's plan and serve his purposes. Let's pray, and then we'll get into Moses' life together. Thank you, Father, that there is a plan. Show us what it means to discover your plan in your promises, and then to know that our lives are making an eternal difference, to know that we understand why we're here, and we understand what you're doing, and we know clearly how we can be a part of it. We pray all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at four people today, and uh, actually, Moses is the last one. So we're going to spend the whole sermon getting to Moses, um, because we have to understand where the plan for Moses' life came from. So we're going to spend a little time with three other people leading up to that. Genesis 6, verse 5, is where we're going first, and we're going to meet Noah. Noah. You know the story of Noah, right? What did he build? A big floating zoo. Uh, And in the story of Noah, one of the most memorable tales of the scripture, we learn about God's promises. So Genesis 6 verse 5 uh, says this, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. Uh Uh-oh. Everything is going away. All life is about to be snuffed out. In verse 8, it says, but. That's a really important verse. The reason you're here is because of this verse. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Noah had three sons. It goes on to say in verse 17, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But... I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Wow. Then he goes on to say he's going to bring the animals on there too. The word covenant there means a promise. God is making a promise to Noah. In the ancient world, a covenant could be a peace treaty between a greater and a lesser nation that, uh, that secures peace so that the lesser nation would not be destroyed. So it's a peace treaty, it's a binding promise, uh, and God makes a covenant with Noah. Jot this down. Number one, God promised to save the faithful and judge the wicked. He promised to save Noah, a man of faith, and he promised to judge the wicked. Because Noah believed what he heard, humanity continued. This is really important to understand. It was God's promise to save Noah that made you possible. It was God's promise to judge the wicked that completely changed the contours of the the world that we live in. Forty days and forty nights the rain fell. Imagine the devastation. Imagine it. 150 days 
uh, the waters did not recede. Five months until the water began to recede. Then it took seven months for the water to completely recede and for them to exit the ark. One year they were on this thing. One year. We have so many pictures of recent floods. Check it out. And, and we're blown away by these pictures when we see the devastation. Uh, things that bring cities to a halt. Things that take lives. Uh, things that require rescue. And these floods cost so much money. Um, but imagine if the rain just kept coming and coming. And imagine if the forecast wasn't one day or two days, but, but 40 everywhere. And the news report is no one survived. Zero survivors, but those God saved. That has happened. Noah displays to us God's holy wrath against all sin and the guarantee that his judgment is coming on this earth just like it already has. This is no empty threat. This is no parent who keeps, who keeps saying, if you keep doing that, I'm going to... And the kids are like, yeah, sure, what have you ever done? This is a God who has already wiped out humanity once and he's warning us his judgment is coming. He's promised his judgment is coming, but he has promised that there is a way for us to be saved. When I hear about the story of Noah, I have two reactions. My first reaction is, ah! like, like serious terror at what God did. And maybe you haven't gotten to that point yet. And I would invite you to get there right now. We're in your own heart, not out loud. But in your own heart, you listen to what God has done and you say, ah! And, and the fear of the Lord grips you. Because if that doesn't warn you of his judgment, I don't know what will. If that doesn't make you feel like God's really going to bring life-ending judgment, eternal condemnation, then, then you can't be convinced. But just let's not believe that you're going to stand in judgment one day and be like, well, nobody ever told me. Uh, yeah, okay, bring up the pictures of the, the flood that I warned people about that I had already done. Okay, good, so you were warned. See, we have no excuse. He's already done it. So, so my first reaction is to scream. But then my second reaction is, phew, he saved some. Like, phew, ah, phew. And if you haven't gotten to the ah yet, get there. And then if you haven't gotten to the phew, and if you haven't n understood what it means to be saved, I want to help you with that. This is good news. Jot this down. God wants you to avoid his judgment by faith. God made a promise to judge the earth and he made a promise to save the righteous, which makes me wonder what makes me righteous. How do I know I'm in the boat of people that's going to be saved? Uh, it says here, Noah walked with God. Noah was a righteous man. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord he was blameless, and he walked with God. We, need, we really need to understand this. What made Noah righteous was not that he was a good person. Uh, what made Noah righteous was not that he was better than the other people of his day. It was his faith that made him righteous. He believed what he heard about the warnings of judgment, and he built the boat so that God would save him. Okay, God saved him, right? He didn't save himself. God saved him. So, Noah was a man of faith, and it was his faith in what he heard that saved him. 
He was not a good guy. Like, after the flood, he got, he got blitzed. Like, he got drunk. All right, if you're ever going to get in the Bible, don't get drunk, all right? I'm just going to give you that advice right now. Like, if, the, if there's a point in your life where you're fairly confident that it's going to get into the Bible, don't get drunk, all right? This is really helpful advice from Pastor Ryan. If you're going to get drunk, don't get drunk when you're naked, all right? That's the second bit of advice I have for you. And if you're drunk and naked, don't let your kids find you, okay? Th- those are the big three things that I would tell you if you're about to get in the Bible. Uh, but Grandpa Noah was blitzed and naked, and, and his kids found him, and it got in the Bible, all right? So he didn't get saved because he was a great guy. He got saved because he walked with God. It was his relationship to a holy God that saved him. He was saved because he believed what he heard. He was saved by faith. It says in Hebrews eleven seven. check it out, by, what's that word? Say it nice and loud, by faith Noah being warned by God. This is prehistoric. And people are saved not by works, but by faith. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world, became an heir of the righteousness that comes by, say it again, Old Testament and New, people are saved by If you get in front of God on Judgment Day and your speech begins, God says, why should I let you into heaven? And your speech begins with, well, I've, you're done. You're done. That's enough. Thank you. Off you go. Well, what did I say? Uh, You said you did some things, which is the way wrong answer. It's by faith that you are saved. You don't do anything to get saved. You believe God and what he's promised, and that's what saves you. We have to remember the severity of God's judgment so that we can prepare for God's salvation to come. Check this out. I love this. This is a picture of the Noah's Ark playset. Look at that. The little people Noah's Ark playset. But I see some things that are missing in this little floating zoo playset. First thing I see missing is a whole bag full of drowning victims that we can spill out on the floor around that boat. Why does the Noah's Ark bath playset not come with drowning victims that can sit at the bottom of the tub while your child enjoys a good old-fashioned Bible story? Why? Well, somebody market that because Noah's fun floating zoo just misses the point, right? What mother would let her kids play with that if you really had the truth? But we have to remember, this is not his little fun house. Uh, Everyone died, all of them. And that should cause you to say, how do I get on that boat? How do I get on that? How do I get my family on that boat? The answer is you believe what you hear. And you see, what holds your world together is not physics. Uh, Ultimately, it's not gravity or glue that keeps everything together. Uh, Your world is being held together by God's promises this very minute. You're here because God's keeping his promise to some guy who had faith long before history was even happening. We're all here because a righteous man was spared by a holy God because he believed what he heard. That's why we're here. We understand here that though history falls by man's folly, still it runs on God's promises. History runs on God's promises. That's why we're here. Number one, God promised to save the faithful and judge the wicked. Noah shows us that. Bring your life in line with that truth. Number two, God promised to bring salvation to the earth through Abraham. 
can write that down. God promised to bring salvation through the earth to the earth through Abraham. Thankfully, the promise God made to Noah was that he would never flood the earth again. He would not send a uh, humanity-ending event, which, which all that guarantees us is delayed judgment. All right, so I'm, I'm, thanks to Noah, I'm not going to judge you yet. Whew. But is that it? Is that all we have? Is that it? All we have is delayed judgment? Thankfully, through Abraham, we get more than just a promise of delayed judgment. Look at Genesis 17, verse 1. Uh, we, we are leaving the prehistoric time now and going to about 2000 BC. 2000 BC is when Abraham lived. And it says in Genesis 17, verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, hey, that's old, right? Anybody here 99? When, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you. And may multiply, there's that word again, covenant. He's making a promise. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, thy, there it is again, covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. This is really funny because God's talking to a 99-year-old guy about becoming a daddy. Isn't that funny? He doesn't have any kids with his wife. 99, and God's like, you're going to have so many great, 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 great grandkids, like, like nations are going to come from you. And he's just, what? You, do you have the right guy? I'm 99. Uh, 99. Are you sure you're talking to the right man? It goes on to say, and I will establish my covenant, your offspring throughout their generations, it says in verse 7. Or, or I skipped a part here. My covenant will be, ah, verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish, here it is again, my covenant between me and you and your offspring. After you, throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant. That's a long time. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God promised Abraham a land, a seed, and a blessing. The land would be Canaan. This is where Israel would be settled. Um, the seed would be a son, Isaac. Um, the blessing, though, would be the blessing of salvation that would come to the ends of the earth. Meaning this impossible child who was born to a hundred-year-old man uh, would be the one through whom salvation would come to the earth. Praise God that he promised to Noah that judgment wouldn't come yet. Praise God he promised to Abraham that salvation would come to the ends of the earth. God promised to bring salvation through Abraham. This promise is what your eternity will hinge on. This is what will decide your fate. Because it would be through Abraham that the Lord Jesus would ultimately be born. Jesus would be born because Abraham, through him would come Israel, through Israel would come Jesus. Jesus' family tree would be traced back to Abraham. So God was promising to send the Messiah into the world through Abraham. But he was 99. Check it out. This is the Guinness Book of World Records oldest dad. 
There he is. His name is uh, Ramashit Raghav. He's the oldest father because he had a baby when he was 94. 94. So as you make your family plans, perhaps you need to just factor that in, that if you should so desire, perhaps at 94, you could continue to build your family. Uh, And he didn't just have a child when he was 94. Then two years later, he had another child. So he broke his own record by having a child at 96. It really happened. Some of you are looking at that picture like, I don't believe it. Well, it's true. But Abraham had a baby at 100, so he blows the record out of the water. Guinness Book of World Records is wrong. If you have it, scratch it out and write Abraham's name there because he became a daddy when he was 100. And, God, and, and if Abraham lived today, he would be an international sensation. All right, You have a baby at 100, I bet he gets to go on Ellen the next day. I mean, like, the world would find him. They'd be like, you did what? And it's because everybody loves miracle babies. But the best part of this child is not just that he was born to parents who were old, but it's that he contained the, the hopes of the world. That bound up in him was the promise that you could be saved, that there would come a Messiah who would take away your sins, and it would come from his line. Abraham knew this, so we need to understand what Abraham believed. Abraham believed the same thing you and I believed. It's not faith in any old thing that saves you. If you stand before God on Judgment Day and say, well, I believed what I believed, that's not saving faith. Saving faith is believing God's warnings and his promises. What exactly did God reveal to Abraham? Well, jot this down. God wants you to believe in the promised Messiah. You can fill that in. God promised to bring salvation to the earth through Abraham. God wants you to believe in the promised Messiah that would come through his line. Here's how the story goes. Abraham had Isaac when he was very old. Isaac was a treasured blessing to him. Then one day God said to Abraham, Abraham, take your son, your only son, whom you love, and bring him to a mountain that I will show you, and then offer him as a burnt sacrifice to me. Take take your son, who you love, to a place I will show you. Slit his throat, set the body on fire for me. What? How? Why would he? How? Abraham wrestled with this. He obeyed. He took his son. He went. He got to the place where God showed him he was about to do this. And in the New Testament, it explains what was going through Abraham's mind. And what was going through Abraham's mind was this. He reasoned that if that child dies, all the promises go with it. The promises die, which means no heaven for you. So he reasoned that the only way God could keep his promises would be if after he did this, God brought Isaac back from the dead. That had never happened before. You've got stories in Sunday school about Lazarus coming back to life, right? He had none of those. He reasoned that the only way God could keep his promise is if he did this and then God was going to give him his son back from the grave. That's what Abraham believed. Does that sound like something in the New Testament? A father who would offer his son and that son would be brought back to life and through that child, salvation would come to the ends of the earth. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Because I'm picking this up loud and clear. Now, what 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 if on top of that, the place where God led him, which at that time was the middle of nowhere, 
was the place where Jesus would be crucified. 2,000 years before it happened, there's a father with his son in the middle of nowhere. There's no Israel trips. There's nothing. He's just standing where God told him. Does that blow you away? Does God have a plan? Is it the same plan, Old and New Testament? He's not making this up as he goes. A father will offer a miracle baby. That child will die and come back to life. Through that child, salvation will come to the end. He was acting it out before it happened. It's the same plan throughout history. God called it off. Abraham, don't do it. He called it off. But what Abraham didn't do, God would. God would sacrifice his son in that place. Do you see how Abraham had to believe what you believed? That a miracle baby would come back from the dead. Do you believe that? Do you believe that a baby born in Bethlehem to a virgin died on that mountain where Abraham was to take away the wrath of God and came back miraculously? I believe that. In Galatians 3, 7 and 9, it's crystal clear what Abraham believed. Check it out. It says this. It says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's you and me, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of the faith, uh, so, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. This eternal blessing of becoming God's people comes to Abraham's spiritual descendants who believe the same thing he believed. Uh, it says in the book of Romans chapter 4 that Abraham is the father of all who believe, which means if you want to be saved, if you want to go to heaven, you have to believe in the salvation that came through Abraham, ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was sacrificed and raised to life. That's how you get saved. Faith in that, faith in anything else will fail you. Check out Genesis 15, verse 13. Here we are still, 2000 B.C. And it says in Genesis 15, 13, The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. They will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. What did he just share with Abraham? Like the book of Exodus. Uh, 500 years before it happened, God said that Moses' mission was accomplished. Yeah, you're, they're going to go down in Egypt, and, but that's, that's all right. I'm going to save them and I'm going to lead them out. This leads us into our next point. Number one, God promised to save the faithful and judge the wicked. Number two, God promised to bring salvation to the earth through Abraham. Number three, God promised to establish Israel through Joseph. They would go to Egypt, they would grow big and strong, and God would settle them in the land of Egypt, and then he would lead them out. So we meet Joseph now, um, and God promised to establish Israel through Joseph. Uh, here's the story of Joseph. Uh, Joseph's dad, so Abraham, Isaac, and then Isaac had Jacob, right? And then Jacob had lots of kids. And um, Joseph had 10 older brothers, how many of you have older brothers? Raise up your hand if you have older brothers. How many of you have stories of older brothers mistreating you? Raise your hand up nice and high. Just, just wipe a tear from your eye and then put that hand back up. Raise your hand if you are an older brother who has mistreated younger siblings. Uh, ten older brothers. 
I mean, Joseph was the human punching bag. He just had, he was the bottom of the pile. I mean, no hope. But his brothers got so furious because not only was he for a long time the youngest until Benjamin uh, came along, uh, and, uh, but what happened was uh, dad liked Joseph the best. So, so uh, this is a parenting don't, okay? If you have a favorite child, don't. You might want to write this down. Make that child a rainbow-colored coat and put it on them so all the other children know that this is your favorite. All right, that's what not to do. Uh, but, but dad did this, and so Joseph had this rainbow coat, and guess what? All the other kids hated him. Ah, dad's favorite coming along to spy on it. Nah. So they, they decided to sell They were going to kill him, but then they decided to sell him into slavery. So they sold him into slavery down in Egypt, right? Then they told dad he was dead. Well, he became a slave in Egypt. He was accused of rape, thrown in jail. Then one day, God did something spectacular. Uh, check out these pictures, though. Sibling rivalry uh, is famous. Look at that. It just shows you what happens when there are problems between siblings. I love that picture. Here's another one. Sibling rivalry led to Joseph's ruin. Look at that. It's like, it's like that was his life. And, and that ruined his life. And so he was just sold and disposed of. And they faked his own death and brought back a bloody, the bloody rainbow coat. It's terrible. But look at Genesis 41. Genesis 41, verse 37. Can check that out. And in Genesis 41, verse 37, uh, it tells what God did in Joseph's life. God had revealed to Joseph his future through dreams, and he had no idea how they were going to take place. But in Genesis 41, verse 37, Joseph told the Pharaoh his dreams and warned the Pharaoh that a famine was coming on the land. It says this. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards uh, the throne will I be greater than you. The Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. This is about 1900 BC now. So we, we were in prehistory, then we we're in about 2000, 2100 BC. Now we're in about 1900 BC. Joseph becomes prince of Egypt. And this is every older brother's worst nightmare. Younger brother, like, goes into law enforcement or politics, right? And actually gets some power and then can, can get older brothers back. Joseph's in charge. But the brothers don't know what the story is. And so this huge famine comes on the land. The reason God elevated Joseph was to protect Abraham's family so that the promise of the Messiah wouldn't die out. Keep in mind, all you have here is this one little family. There's no Israel yet. There's just this one little family. It's like the Oregon Trail. How many of you played Oregon Trail growing up? Ever play that game on the computer, the Oregon Trail? Am I the only one from the 80s? Right? Where, where, where you, you like are trying to get out west and people keep dying, right? You know? You're, you're, or, or, or worse things happen, like your wagon wheel breaks or your coach catch fire or whatever, right? So, so you've got Abraham's whole family. They're just like wandering around living in tents. There's no minute clinic. There's no antibiotics, right? That, all they are, they're just walking around and, and suddenly this famine's going to come. So they're going to be dust. And so God sends Joseph into Egypt, raises him up, gets the whole country ready for the famine. Then it hits well, well, what did Joseph's brothers do? They need to find food. So they come into town, and Joseph sees them. 
Another threat to the covenant, God's promises, is Joseph could have just ended his brothers right there. He could have been like, off with their heads. I want to see it. Heads on platters right now. He could have thrown them in jail. He could have done whatever he wanted. And he was tempted, right? He messed around with them a little bit. You would have done it too. You know the story, right? He was really trying to figure out how hard to make it on them. But then his conscience got him. So he invited his brothers and the whole family to come to Egypt so they can be saved. God saved the family, and it wasn't about Joseph. Joseph was serving a higher purpose that lined up with God's promises. God had already promised to settle Egypt in the land. Joseph was just getting in line with what God was doing. And so we see that God kept his word and brought his people down into Egypt. Jot this down. God wants you to live with hope for the future he has promised. He promised to settle Israel in the land. He promised to do it. And he kept his promise. He gave Joseph dreams that he would have tremendous power one day. And God kept his promise. I don't know what you're worried about when you look to your future. If your plans have failed, I don't know how you're reacting to that. But God has plans for your future. And when you trust his plans for your future, they'll never fail. If you trust your plans, you're in essence putting a house of cards together with like bubble gum and duct tape and it's going to keep falling over. But God, God could have told someone 500 years ago uh, all about your life, you see. So your future has to be placed in his hands and you have to line up your life with the promises he made. God wants you to live with hope for the future he has promised. Check out Genesis 46 verse 2. It says in Genesis 46, verse 2, that God talked to Jacob. You see, Jacob didn't believe it. When the brothers came, because they were liars, he was a sneak too, uh, like father, like son. But here you have the brothers coming back. Joseph's alive, and he's like, I don't believe it. We're not. Well, finally, God reveals to Jacob that this is all true. So it says in Genesis 46, verse 2, God spoke to Israel, that's Jacob, in visions of the night, and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here am I. Then he said, I'm God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go to Egypt, for there, listen, I will make you into a great nation. I, this is huge. This is about Moses, even before he's born. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. Mission accomplished. Moses' mission is accomplished right there. I'll bring you down. I'll bring you back. It's as simple as that. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. He didn't even know Joseph was alive. He didn't believe it. So Jacob goes down by faith, sees that it's true. Joseph is alive. God told him the future. Hundreds of years, he talked like it was already finished. And guess what? Joseph shows us tremendous faith. Because look at Genesis 50, verse 24. Genesis 50, verse 24. I'm so envious of the faith Joseph displays to us. It says here in 5024, and Joseph said to his brothers many years later, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land and to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. This is hilarious. He made the brothers swear. So, okay, you're the brothers. Everybody raise your right hand. Come on, raise your right hand. All right, I'm going to make you promise now. Repeat after me. I say your name. Swear to bring your bones, I know it's a little weird, uh, out of Egypt when God delivers his people. 
All right, and I'm going to hold you to that oath. This is what he's doing with his brothers. <laughs> when God gets you all out of here, grab my bones on your way out, okay? Swear, swear it, swear it, swear it. It's done. It's, think of all that had to go into this rescue. And Moses, think of how <laughs> he's talking to the bush. Me? Oh, not me. I can't do it. No, send someone else. It like seems like it's not going to happen, right? And Joseph's like, on your way out, grab my bones. It's sure to happen. This was hundreds of years before it happened. That's faith. That's faith in the future God has promised. God wants you to live with hope that the future God has promised, he will deliver. Listen, this is great news. You were created by a promise-keeping God. Your future is being created by a promise-keeping God. That's why you can walk by faith. Number one, God promised to save the faithful and judge the wicked. He wants you to avoid his judgment by faith like Noah. Number two, God promised to bring salvation to the earth through Abraham. God wants you to believe in the promised Messiah just like Abraham did. Number three, God promised to establish Israel through Joseph. And just like Joseph, God wants you to live with hope for the future he has promised. Just as he settled Israel and delivered them, he will also bring you safely into the land of promise in the end. Number four, God promised to deliver Israel through Moses. Now we're at about 1500 BC. Moses' life was predicted before he was born. His destiny decided in the mind of God. His mission was declared accomplished, and yet he, then he was born. Do you see how the promises of God frame your story? Do you see how if you miss the promises of God, you're just going to scribble nonsense all over the pages of your life? Because you don't know the story God is writing. And Moses found God's purpose. And he gives us an example here. You can write this down. God wants you to boldly serve his purposes with your life. Boldly serve his purposes with your life. John Piper wrote a whole book called Don't Waste Your Life. It's an awesome book. And in his book he says this. Maybe you don't care very much whether you make a lasting difference for the sake of something great. You just want people to like you. If people would just like being around you, you'd be satisfied. Or if you could just have a good job uh, with a good wife or husband, a couple of good kids, a, a nice car, long weekends and a few good friends, fun retirement, and a quick and easy death, and no health. You could have all that, even without God, you would be satisfied. And that would be a wasted life. It's a powerful word. Are you wasting your life? Or have you found God's promises and lined your life up with them? God has a plan. He wants you to get on his plan. He wants you to boldly serve his purposes with your life. That happens when you walk by faith. That happens when you walk by faith. Uh, Jesus is the beginning and the middle and the end of God's plan for your life. And God wants you to serve his purposes. He wants you to walk by faith like Noah in the warnings and promises so that you can be saved and destruct from destruction. He wants you to have faith like Abraham, to believe the impossible that God would raise the dead. Through the death of the promised child, salvation would come on the mountain of God's choosing. He wants you to have faith like Joseph, that God would indeed rescue people from slavery and deliver them out of bondage 
into the land of promise. He wants you to have faith like Moses who confronted the gods of his age and trusted God to walk people through the sea by faith and save them forever from death and oppression. This is what God wants of you. Do you want to know God's plan for your life? It starts when your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. From Noah to Abraham to Joseph to Moses, Jesus is the center of the plan. And if Jesus means nothing to you, what are you doing in life? Why are you living? Why are you bothering? Why do you wake up? Why do you go to work? Why do you sweat? Why do you pay the bills? Why do you worry about so much if in the end you will have nothing for it for eternity? Why bother? What's the point? But if you know the one who sits on the throne of heaven right now and you believe that he is preparing a place for you, every day is worth it. And you can work for him. And you can sing of him. And you can know him personally. I want to close by inviting you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. All of history points to him. He is God's plan to save you. If Jesus means nothing to you, today is the day that he can become your king and your savior. Let's close our eyes right now and let's bow to the Lord in prayer. Let me give you a chance to surrender your life to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, right now, I know there are some people in this room, <clears throat> they don't know your plan for their life. They've been living for themselves. They've been living without you. They wonder where you've been. They wonder what you've done. But right now, I give them a chance to once and for all repent of their sins because your judgment is coming. Turn from the empty way of life that they've been living and follow you by faith forever. Show them, Jesus, that from the beginning, you were the plan. You are the plan. Help them to surrender their lives right now. I just pray that there would be some right now who say in their hearts, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Come into my life. Assure me that you are with me. Promise me heaven forever. Never leave me. Lord, for those who are crying out to you right now, show them that this is your plan. This is the plan no one knew. This is the plan Abraham knew. This is the plan Joseph knew. This is the plan Moses knew. This is the plan. This is it. Help them to know that if they have Christ, they have in one thing all things. If they lack Christ, they have nothing. I pray, Lord, that you would save some in the room right now and show us, just as you led Moses, to find his place in your great story. Help us to take our place in your grand narrative so that we know our lives count forever. And we pray this in your name. Amen.